The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Certainly glad to have you along. And Lou and I were uh, busy doing all kinds of car things the last few weeks. And one thing, Lou, that I've been doing, and this is something that I probably waited a year to do because I wasn't sure what direction I was going to go in. When I picked up my uh, 2011 Porsche 911 uh, last year. Um, Porsche does their radios. They call them PCMs, Porsche Communication Management. And as many cars, modern cars these days, they have the radio, the Bluetooth, the navigation, the CD uh, changer, which is actually a DVD player because it needs it for the navigation updates. Uh, And then a lot of other things feed into that, too. Like on my car, it's got certain... um, uh, settings for the uh, uh, sport chrono package and then on a lot of cars not so much on at least on my Porsche but on other cars you can do all kinds of things through the through the interface like changing your suspension settings or headlight settings or just any kind of stuff so they're very very complicated these days and about a month or two after i bought that car the uh, radio just crapped out it wouldn't uh continue to 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 function at all all it would do is you would you would turn it on and it would it would try to reboot and then it would just shut down and it would just continually cycle like that even with the car off i had to pull the fuses out (laughs) so it wouldn't wear down the battery and everything that i found out online is that's basically just what they call the pcm failure so i guess it's an analogous to the fabled blue screen on your windows 95 or 98 machines but i've been trying to figure out a lot of people say okay well screw the the pcm i'm just going to put an aftermarket radio in but i started reading how much that can cost and that can start at two thousand dollars and go up from there Mm. because there's depending if you have bose audio in your car if you don't if you have the bose audio makes it harder and actually my car does have the bose audio so it's just like what do i want to do because i i don't really want to lose any of the functionality that that comes with that that you know as far as like some of the settings so i just put bit the bullet and I pulled the unit out myself, and I'm sending it off actually shortly, uh, sometime this week to uh, get repaired. There's uh, one in, at least one independent repair place that has a good rep out on the East Coast, and um, we'll see what they give me as an estimate. But I figured that would probably be the most uh, economical way to do it because I know you can get exchange units too. Um, I priced those out there coming in at about $2,000 for a factory exchange uh, and then they charge you a $1,000 core charge which is a core charge some people might not know what that is it's where you uh, buy an item like uh, usually it's for like brake calipers or things like that or an alternator and you pay a core charge because they want your old unit back so it can be rebuilt and sold, you know, uh, rebuilt by a professional rebuilder. And they charge you, you know, $50, $100, whatever, to ensure that you get that core back. Um, and here they're charging like $1,100 for the PCM core charge, which is a lot of money. So they want to make sure that they're getting that back. Because a lot of times if you, you know, if you if you rebuild, a, you know, do a, calip, a couple of calipers on a, on a car and you have a core charge like 30 bucks, most of the time you're going to say, eh, screw it. I'm not going to, you know, bother with the core charge. So I'll keep you updated on that, too, what happens with the PCM, what kind of estimate I get back and and see what happens. And I think I have to take it back to the dealer then, though, to get it uh, 
paired up with the car again because it's everything you do these days on a car when you you change something it has to be re dealerized through the computers they have only at the dealers so we'll see how that goes but we were talking uh last episode lou about uh your visit to the uh, carlisle uh ford nationals out in uh, carlisle pennsylvania and you said you also are going to the uh chrysler uh carlisle show coming up yeah that'll be in july and what is it going to be pretty much the same uh format as the show that you were just at with the fords it will be. They usually have one featured car. The last show at Carlisle was in the, uh, they call it Building T, was uh, the Boss Mustangs and the Mach 1s were featured there. So, uh, And there was also some really neat uh, Mercury cars there. One of the cars that I featured was a 1992 Mustang SAAC Mark 1. MK1 and I'm like what is this and why is this in this building I've never heard of one well it turns out they made about 30 of them and the SAAC is Shelby American Automotive Collection or something like that mark one car so it was a special Mustang and uh, they gave it a little more horsepower since it was a Shelby so that'll be coming up on the channel another car that was uh, unique and interesting is um, uh, 68 Ford Torino GT convertible with the original owner. Mm, so he wow. was telling me about how he chose the 428 Cobra Jet and the options on that. Wow. That's, that's always fun. What to color hear. was that car? It was aqua. Okay, cool. So, yeah, Those so, are neat. Uh, the 428 Cobra Jets are cool engines. Yeah, so it was pretty cool to hear these stories and meet uh, Lou. And by chance, it was the same name as me and his wife, Cookie. Okay. So it was wonderful to talk with them. Cool. That's great. Um, and I know that you, you have some uh, Chrysler friends, uh, at least locally. Uh, do you know if they're going to be heading out to that car? I'll show it all or one car that I'm looking forward to, to videoing. I just had the conversation yesterday is there's going to be a, um, a Hearst Challenger. You, when you think of Hearst, you think Oldsmobile, but mm-hmm. there's a Hearst Challenger that uh, should be interesting. If I play my cards right, we'll not only do the review, obviously we're going to start it, but hopefully we're going for a ride. Cool. Cool. Yeah. That, that's the exciting part when you actually go for the ride. Yeah, this <laughs> this should be good. Awesome. Speaking of going for a ride, one of the uh, interesting cars I saw recently on the uh, roads was a uh, good old Morgan three-wheeler. And you don't see too many of those puttering about. And this was hilarious, too, because sometimes you'll see like a uh, a dog in a in a, a sidecar on a motorcycle and they'll be, be wearing goggles or something like that. But the, the actual the driver of the of the Morgan that I saw was wearing goggles. So <laughs> it was just kind of nice. neat. Yeah, it was Very cool. Nice. And a lot of people people like those those morgan three-wheelers they're uh again i mean i i sound like a broken record when i say this but morgans have always been uh you know they're held their value and and the three-wheelers especially are uh cars that'll definitely be a, an investment a great kind of uh proposition if you ever decide to buy one now you're calling it a car but it's almost like a motorcycle it's it's basically a, a bomb that someone cut out the front end of it and stuck <laughs> yeah. an engine on the front of it and stuck wheel two wheels on the front and one put, wheel on the back put a v-twin uh, transversely on the front. On a torpedo. Yeah, exactly. And they did that, obviously, uh, post-war in uh, in England to uh, save on taxes because it only had three wheels instead of four. And I don't know how they figured out all the other stuff. But yeah, Have that's... you ridden in one of those? No, I haven't. I have. Yeah, that was fun. Was it... Uh, I would think it'd be pretty much like a riding in maybe something like an MGTD, early, you know, late 40s MG or a, or early Triumph with side curtains, just a lot of, or like on a motorcycle, basically, a lot of wind in your hair and 
and uh like a motorcycle yeah and sitting close to the ground that's cool that's yeah. neat did you have that uh one on your have you had a morgan on your uh on your channel i do have a morgan on the channel cool good good yeah they're they're neat cars and of course uh, one of the biggest uh in the chicago area one of nationally actually and it happens in the chicago area coming up in, in september is uh the the british car show uh sponsored by the british uh, automotive union and um this is a great show i mean hundreds and hundreds of, of british cars and always a good contingent of uh morgans uh represented at that show that's at uh that's usually it's at harper college in palatine that's they, where they've been holding it and then for they the have last to clean up years. the uh, parking lot they have to put the oil dry down well that's what everyone always says yeah we wonder how many uh gallons of oil gets leaked out of the uh of the cars because they're british all those old british uh car um uh fables that we always asked, talk I asked about the gentleman i said uh i said it looks like your car's leaking he says that's how we know there's fluid in exactly it. <laughs> Like I was saying, I think we talked about this on the show when I said, yeah, we did actually. Because when I said I got the Corvette and it sat for nine days, I pulled it out and there's nothing leaking. I'm like, hey, that's a good sign. And then you, Mr. Smart Guy, say, well, that's maybe there's nothing left to leak out. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe that's where the gas went, huh? It could be. (laughs) Be sure to tell a friend about the uh, Car Guys Report Informed Automotive if you like what uh, me and Lou are talking about here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It's available online at radiomisfits.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Car Guys Podcast. Also, please email us. We'd love to uh, hear from you. Car Guys Report at hotmail.com. We keep talking about living in the golden age of horsepower uh these days and you know when you can go to uh, your local dodge dealer and buy a uh hellcat with 700 or 800 horsepower with a factory warranty and they don't sneer at you if you actually say hey well, i'm going to race this car or track it they actually encourage you to do that and that's just unheard of and uh in that vein uh chrysler has uh recently introduced and it's actually sold out this this sold out in Two days, 48 hours, they introduced what they're calling the Heliphant. It's a 1,000-horsepower crate engine, 950 pound-feet of torque. It's basically like an even bolder, bigger uh, Hellcat engine, although this is a, a 426 Hemi, supercharged, of course. And the cool thing is they engineered this, this engine to basically they're selling a plug-and-play kit for pre-76 vehicles so they're making it very easy for you to slot this engine into uh basically a the kind of muscle car that you would expect it to go into something from either the 60s or the 70s and it's just uh it's a hell of a elephant uh engine but uh, it costs thirty thousand dollars Sold out. They made a hundred of them initially. Sold out in forty-eight hours, and it's. Uh, I'm sure some of them are going to start showing up at. Uh, maybe there'll be one at Carlisle uh, when you go there in July. Could be. Uh, could be something that's going to show up there. But you got to hand it to uh, to to at least Chrysler to be able to uh, do something like this. And it's interesting too because the article that I found was talking about what kind of. Uh, of vehicles you might want to slot that into and um someone was saying you should put it into one of the jeep grand wagoneers from the early 80s <laughs> so because you know jeep has that uh has the um the um the track uh whatever the heck they call it the uh 
they have a Jeep. Uh, the SRT. No, it's not the SRT. It's, it's, it's the other one that they're putting. It's like the new version of the SRT where they're putting the Hellcat engine in okay. it. Yeah. Okay. And um, this would even be, you know, one step above that. But it's, uh, it, it's cool who is going to figure out what exactly to do with that engine and where it's going to um, uh, slot in and, and where we're going to see them turning up. But uh, and I'm sure since it's sold out in 48 hours, I'm sure there's more than 100 people that wanted to buy one. So we'll have to see uh, if they release the gates and decide to uh, sell more of the Helifants. Right now, Lou, I don't own any convertible cars. I had a uh, 1987 uh, Alfa Romeo Spider for many years. And to be honest, I'm not really a convertible guy. Uh, I'm one of these guys that I don't mind having the windows down, but I'm not even a sunroof I don't use that often. Maybe in the evening when the sun has gone down. I know you have an awesome Jaguar XKR8 uh, convertible. Mm-hmm. Have you ever driven it or been caught top down in the rain? I have. And what did you do? <laughs> Drive faster? Or? Uh, yes, to both questions. I've been caught in the rain, and then I kept the speed going. I was in Arizona, and um, my biggest concern is that it's actually my wife's car. So I thought, I can't soak the interior with her car. Or she's really going to... I'm going to be soaked by the time I get home. So I kept it up at speed, um, and had vi- and I was obviously looking around in the interior. The windshield was raked at the proper length to not get it soaked, and then I quickly slowed down as quick as possible once I hit a bridge mm-hmm. so I could put the top on. Because mm-hmm. uh, th- there's been uh, some minor research done. I don't know if they're professional uh, aerodynamic people or not, but uh, they they talk about the speed that you have to drive at to try to get the uh, keep dry in the rain because the cars these days, especially the convertibles, that they're, the angle of rake on the windshield is is fairly far down towards the driver and that tends to make the air flow a certain way over the top of the car the layer of air that comes in contact with the body line of the car is called the boundary layer and the top of the windshield frame where the bodywork stops is called the separation point and at that point that's where the air becomes turbulent and as you go faster the area area of turbulent air above the passenger compartment increases and i think that's one of the reasons why they make these uh those uh things you buy in the back uh that go between the the uh ba- right behind the back seat right behind the back of the front seats those, it looks like those, a little screen yeah those screens do you have one in your car i don't okay i always wondered if those work but apparently they do because they even come you know from the factories that way so mm-hmm. uh that's it's one of the ways that you at least get the turbulence removed but then um the angle of the windshield is probably the most important thing that determines how fast you have to drive with the top down in the rain to um, keep dry. But it seems about 45 miles an hour they have determined to be the speed that you can drive at safely in the rain with your top down and not get wet. Hmm. So I don't know if you want to try that out with your <laughs> yeah, good, good tip <laughs> with your car someday or not. Next time you find yourself caught in the rain with the top down, Lou, just uh, drive 45 miles an hour and see what happens there we go but um, one of the things that you always have to uh, can you take on yours can you put the top up and down at a certain speed or do you have to be stopped 15 miles an hour 15 okay um because i know that a lot of the new cars i think you can even go up uh, quite a bit faster than that uh and still put the top up or down um 
Hemmings brings us yet another uh, very cool car. And this one is, is close to my heart because it's a Saab. This one is currently for sale overseas. I believe it's in uh, either somewhere in Europe. It's either in Germany or um, I think uh, Holland. But it's a, probably the, one of the rarest, earliest Saabs you're going to find for sale. Saab started selling cars around 1950. And uh, in the early years, they were very limited production, and they were just gearing up, uh, becoming a car manufacturer. And this is a 1953 Saab 92B, which is very hard to find. The model was the 92. The B was the suffix. And as they improved the car, they made a 92B. The last... um, uh, actually, there's a 92B. Then they made a 93, and then uh, they made the 93 up until when the uh, 96 came out in 1960. But this is a 92, so this is just an incredibly rare car. It's been fully restored. It is in Germany, and um, it was supposedly bought in Sweden in early t- 2014, fully restored. It took, like, uh, four years to source all the parts, and they're asking 36000 for this vehicle, and it's really not... You know, it's a very basic car. It's got suicide doors, which is very cool. They open from the front. It's got the semaphore turn signals on the on the posts, which is the, instead of having a light, they just have a little arm that pops out to tell you, the people behind you, which way you're turning. And it's just a super cool car. And you're just never going to be able to, I, I look at it as you're never going to really be able to find another Saab 92B almost anywhere in the world uh, that would be in this kind of condition. So if you're really, you know, 36 grand sounds like a lot, but it really isn't because it's just a really, really hard car to find. So I was just thrilled when I came across that one on the uh, Hemmings classifieds and uh, just always neat stuff there on Hemmings. And we also talk about bring a trailer a lot, too. They got a lot of really cool cars on that uh a website as well and that's an auction site so you can actually see what the cars sold for uh or or if they sold because they do have a handful of cars that don't have reserves on them and, and you get to see what they've been, been bid up to and they didn't sell that so that's interesting because then if they bid up to a certain price you're almost think, saying like hmm that's the market speaking and maybe they think that's what the car is worth so it can kind of go uh, either way if you like the car guys report informed automotive and uh, you like what uh, me and Lou Costable are doing here on the car guys report make sure you check out some of the other great podcast programs that are available on the radio misfits podcast network like back to you it's an opi show legendary chicago tv personalities howard sudbury steve baskerville they talk about life food travel and the long list of what bugs them they're a great bunch of guys and they talk about all kinds of cool stuff on back to you you never know when one of their famous pals might stop by as well too so check it out it's only on the radio misfits podcast network check it out at radiomisfits.com great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place radiomisfits.com and we're part of that too we are the car guys report informed automotive i'm mark vernon along with uh, lou costable and we're always coming across uh kind of just goofy stuff they call it clickbait on the internet something to make you uh click your mouse on it and usually they're somehow tied into advertising and and um it's a money generation thing for some people and usually i don't waste my time with that but 
I came across one. Uh, what classic car are you meant to drive? Coming from uh, How Stuff Works. And uh, they had 30 kind of what I call kind of dumb questions that they asked you. Some didn't really seem to be that related to cars. I mean, I think they, they had things like, I, I wasn't going to print out all 30 questions, things like, you know, would you rather drive in the city or the country or do you drive fast or you drive slow or do you want a cushy ride or a hard ride? But then they had some other kind of weird things. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I guess you'd call it car versus uh, your personality. And do you have any idea, Lou, what they said Knowing, knowing what little or, 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 or not that you know about me, what car do you think they think I should drive as a classic car? A uh, 65 Aston Martin, <laughs> James, James Bond's car. Not even close. Okay. <laughs> they showed me driving a 1970-ish Oldsmobile Cutlass. Now that could be cool. It's a very cool car. Yeah, they say your love of horsepower, smooth rides, and style makes the Oldsmobile Cutlass the classic car you should park in your yeah. garage. I think you should get one of those. It says, I appreciate quality, and the Cutlass will make all my dreams come true. From excellent handling to showroom looks, your Cutlass will be your pride and joy for the rest of your life. And I'm like, well, I do appreciate quality and, and some of the things they talked about. And, and I was actually at a show with a friend of mine recently, and there was a, a Cutlass convertible parked there. And he goes, that's my favorite car of the, of the whole show. I just like those. And I'm like, yeah, they're, they're not bad. We'll have to get you a 442W30. I, would, I always thought 442s are cool. Very cool. And it, does that truly stand for four-speed, four-barrel twin exhaust? That's is that, what it's supposed yeah. to stand for, yeah. And is that really what it stands for? Uh, well, to my knowledge, and some listener can share on an email it that we're wrong but yeah as i as i know it and and I, then the w30 are you familiar with that i was going to say is that the factory blueprinted engine well you know I, i'm not a, a a tech engineer so yeah. if i was using comparisons there's your gto then there's their judge gto yeah. and there's your buick gs and then there's your buick gs stage one mm -hmm. well the 442 the W30. W30 is the one that they want. Now, there is a W31, which had a 351, uh, 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 or excuse me, 350 engine in it, um, which you don't see many of those. Yeah. So, but, the, but for you, I would go with the big block. The w, yeah, yeah. 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 The W30. Because I do recall that, that at some point in the early 70s, um, I know that Oldsmobile, and it might be the W30 because it makes sense, that they were factory blueprinting the engines. And that was one of the, the selling points. So, um, but yeah, very cool. You know, I, I, we had an Oldsmobile, probably the earliest car that I have a, a memory of as a, as a kid. Uh, it's before my uh, before 1969 when my dad bought the a brand new Buick. We had the car that we had before that was a Oldsmobile Dynamic 88, which mm -hmm. was the the base model Oldsmobile. It was a two door hardtop, and um, I assume it had a V8 in it because it was an Oldsmobile. And it had, I believe it had a three on the tree, because I remember that. And I remember it being light blue with kind of a cloth interior, but that's about all I remember. I, I don't really remember riding that car too much, but I remember the color, and I remember that it was a Dynamic 88. So that that's pretty much my only exposure to Oldsmobile as a mark. But um, again, I think it's a, a mark that is starting to get more... Uh, respect and recognition as the uh, years go on because once they're gone, like Pontiac, Oldsmobile, they're gone and people start taking a, a retrospective look back at these things and realizing that, hey, they're not uh, 
they, you know, they did some really cool things. And we we're just talking about 442s. I always thought 442s were cool. Mm-hmm. Totally cool. Um, we had talked about briefly when you were saying, um, again, we'll bring up your wife's Lincoln uh, MKC. Mm-hmm. And you were saying that you were pricing out uh, Honda CRVs, the small crossover utility that Honda sells. And they were topping out about, or, or not even topping out at, but average price of like twenty nine grand or something like that. Yeah, I was looking actually at the HRV, um, which is uh, below the CRV. Yeah. And I thought, well, just get her something dependable. And I didn't end up going that route just because I found a used car that was a lot cheaper with a lot more um, style to it. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I would say uh, uh, the average cost to a new car today that you'd want to drive is probably, you know, in that range, 35 to 38. It is, exactly. 35 to 38,000 is pretty much the uh, average price of a new car. And speaking specifically of Honda... The in December of 2018, the average transaction price on a American Honda was twenty nine thousand three hundred and forty seven dollars. And uh, boy, things go up from there. Uh, average cost. It's interesting too that Subaru was always a kind of a, a, a kind of a not exactly budget, but kind of a economy minded. Uh, brand and a lot of people that moved out of Saabs back in the day moved into Subarus because they still had that quirky factor and everything Subarus pretty much have the exact same um uh average retail transaction price as the Honda 29,600 uh Toyotas top out at 34 or average 34,000 transaction price uh Volkswagen group of course that's going to be skewed by Porsche and Audi that moves up to 42,000 but when you break it out the average transaction price for what is considered a compact car 20,400 and then Lou this goes right to where you were compact SUV or crossover 28,700 is the average and remember these are averages that means that um you know there's stuff that costs less but then there's also stuff that costs more uh luxury mid-size SUV crossovers 56,000 luxury full-size SUV crossovers $87,000 and you're talking about like the the big uh uh Infinity uh QX uh, 60s or whatever those are and stuff like uh, land, uh Range Rovers and things like that but 87 grand that's amazing uh high end luxury cars 98,000 high performance car 113 uh but the grand total of all these and all the the different categories average transaction price $37,577 now and i think a lot of that is being driven though by you know the continual um government mandates of you know first it was uh tire pressure monitoring then it's uh automatic braking and it's uh rear view cameras and just all the stuff they keep ladling on that they're they're making the manufacturers add to their cars as standard equipment of course that's going to drive the price up but where do you think this is all going to end do you think it's going to just continue its steady march up upwards because i just remember it seemed like a few years ago the 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 average transaction price was maybe like the low 30s and now it's the mid almost upper 30s do you do you have any inkling i know you're not an economist but you won't do any worse than any economist would say anyway because they're always just kind of throwing darts at it at the at the wall but well i think one thing that's going to happen uh, and I'll use myself as the example, is you're looking at that $35,000, and then you look at what you can get used. Because cars, all of a sudden, since new models are coming out, 
uh, the depreciation value of a car that's even two or three, four years old uh, has diminished uh, incredibly. And the bonuses, these cars have very long lives to mm-hmm. them today. And if someone's taken reasonable care of it, uh, and I'll use again an example of what I just purchased. I purchased, uh, my wife did the research. She purchased a Lincoln MKC, and this was a $40,000 car in twenty. 15 and we purchased it for $23,000 yeah. with 24,000 miles on it which is you know technically about Today, three oil changes. Yeah, yeah, nowadays it's braking mileage, you know. Yeah, so so uh and it had a new set of tires on. Yeah. It. So uh you know to get the car at almost half its cost at probably I'm going to say uh, 15% of its mileage life uh, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that families are going to have to do that to keep up in the bonuses that, you know, car car companies will continue to, to do that. So I think that um, although that if you want to purchase a new car, um, you know, you're looking at a warranty versus I'm, I probably have a 30 day warranty, but I, th- I think there's always going to the be that, that, that set of, of buyers out there that always want just to drive a new car and maybe they'll only drive it for two or three years because that way they're they're either getting free maintenance or they basically have to do nothing to the car except for maybe an oil change during that time and they want the warranty and they want just the newness of it and then they they don't really worry too much about the depreciation factor but or if you lease the vehicle uh, you're a corporation. You lease it to your to your employees, and then all of a sudden the lease runs out. Every three years, you get them a new car. Yeah. Well, then those cars are on the market. So yeah, I'm with you. I think that uh, depreciation for people like you and me, uh, whether we're looking at a performance vehicle like my Porsche. Well, let's look at the Corvette you just bought. The, yeah. Well, that's quite. That's older. That's 27 years old. But still, how many that's miles are on it? Seventy thousand. Okay, so you've got a seventy thousand mile car. That's the highest horsepower at the time, pretty much, you know, in, in your category. And you got it at a great value yeah. because, you know, it's still a dependable vehicle. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could say the same thing, too, about the Porsche that I bought. I mean, that that car had a sticker of like almost $100,000 eight years ago. And I paid, you know, well, well below half that for that car. And it's just like, that's amazing. And then that car's got tons of life left in it. And uh, a friend of mine just purchased a uh, BMW 228i uh, convertible. And that car is three years old. And he paid uh, like mid to upper 20, like 26 or 27 for it. And I don't know. I think that car probably retailed 45-ish or so. And again, it's only got like 30,000 miles on it's brand basically brand new yeah so and it's a great car great deals yeah yeah it's amazing change so, the brakes put some new wheels on it and it's a brand new car yeah that's great and at one point too we're gonna <laughs> i don't want to get into it now but at, at one point if, if you're comfortable in telling the story uh we want to get to the uh to the uh story of lou's viper um because you told me how you got that car, and I was always curious how you got it, and it's a great story. So we'll we'll throw that out as a tease, I guess. But um, we always talk about how we got certain cars, or what we paid for them, or what they're worth, and it's just an interesting story. One of the many things that uh, you will hear 
on the Car Guys Report right here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. If you like what we're doing, please rate us on your preferred platform, whether it be uh, Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher. Just search for Radio Misfits. When you do uh, uh, rate, and if then if you subscribe to us, you'll get a uh, automatic notification when there's new content and a new episode of the Car Guys Report. And we would appreciate you doing that because we like having you listening to what we have to say here on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. Check it out at radiomisfits.com. Big part of what we do here on the uh, Car Guys Report is uh, talking about uh, what Lou does on his uh, popular YouTube channel called My Car Story with Lou. And uh, he's just always uh, getting uh, video and uh, stories from people with some very cool cars. And we've been talking a lot about the stuff that he did at the uh, Carlisle Nationals with Ford and what will be coming up later this summer with uh, the Carlisle Chrysler uh, Nationals. But what other uh, stuff can we look forward to on your uh, channel uh, in the uh, coming uh, weeks and months, Lou? Well, one of them that was interesting was a 64 Ford Falcon Sprint Convertible. And the reason why I say that is the Ford Falcon body was then later known for the Mustangs. They just put it right on that frame. So it's fun when you see a car before the Mustang because the Mustang was so popular that uh, still is uh, uh, desired. Not only that, but the Falcon uh, Sprint uh, is uh, kind of an upgrade to the regular Falcon, and this convertible is in really nice shape. Also, um, uh, when I was out in California to show a 1955 Volkswagen 23-window bus, mm. clearly, clearly it's not a my car story car, <laughs> but uh, it was so cool. A samba. That, yeah, it was so cool that, and it's just fun to say samba. Yeah. So it's so cool <laughs> that, that I said, okay, we got we to gotta add this just because I think the people would like it. And big bucks those things go for. Now, those are six-figure vehicles. They're, it's pretty interesting, yeah. There was a uh, 67 Ford Mustang Fastback in black with a 289. That's a... Uh, uh, a classic car and a classic design. And uh, actually out at the uh, World of Wheels, I did a 1970 Buick GS Grand Sport in Aqua Mist. Cool. Yeah, so that was a great convertible car. And that was that the, uh, the what, what was the one you just said, the, the one in Aqua Mist? Was that the Ford you were telling me about, or is that... Well, the Aqua Mist, this one's a 1970 Buick. Buick, GS that's Grand what I thought. Sport okay. In Aqua Mist. Because um, you were I, telling me about the original owner for the uh, Ford that you did, the Aqua was, Metallic or whatever. Yeah, so. when I was at the Ford Carlisle, uh, the Carlisle events, the Ford Nationals just recently, there was an owner I met who purchased brand new and shared with us about the options that he wanted on the car. Uh, his name was Lou, and he has a uh, Aqua Torino GT convertible. So cool. that was pretty neat. So Lou, meet Lou, and yeah. and for once, uh, that guy would be able to answer the question, are you the original owner? Well, as a matter of fact, I am. Yes. <laughs> And we were just talking about this, too, coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report. Lou and I were batting about this when we were off the air, and we'll be talking about it next time. The smart car was a dumb idea. We will uh, give our thoughts about uh, the recently departed smart car, and a Toyota Icon hits the end of the line. That and so much more on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. Thanks so much for uh, joining us for this episode of 
of the Car Guys Report. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Losano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo spelled backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha and it's on the Radio Misfits podcast network. Check it out at radiomisfits.com. The proceeding was a presentation of Opi Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opi Productions. Tony, can you shut up? I'm Howard Sudbury, along with Steve Baskerville, and our podcast is Back to You. And this week, we have the national anthem singer, Jim Cornelison, and he's a fascinating guy. He really is, because he uh, lets you know what it takes to do something like that. Here's a guy who performs in front of 150,000 people. And at one point, he performed at a place where the gentleman that he was singing for didn't listen. Hmm. We'll hear about that. That's on Back to You with Howard and Steve. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Don't forget to take that selfie while you're running with the bulls. Brothers who fight more than your kids do. Russian Orthodox Church blesses nuclear warheads. Big Jeff Pfeffer's heifer Heather left a leather sweater. <laughs> Rick's brush with celebrity Dennis D. Young. And we interview Paul Calderon, who has Pulp Fiction and Boardwalk Walking Empire Dead. and many other Big shows. Uh, all that in unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. The Tony Lasano Podcast and Opi Production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Radiomisfits.com. If you missed Lausano or La, Los, Los Anno and Friends, here's what you missed. I feel like you go into a motel, you just search for cameras instantly. That's got to be like your first reaction. Anywhere you intend to be nude, you should just check. How about you just don't be nude in a motel? Well, I no, feel like no, that'd I, be smart. I, I should just not true. get changed or take a shower. No, I no. think, wait, but you're, I think you're missing my point. I'm worried that I'm not going to be on camera. Mm. I want footage of me. You're the only one who wants to be filmed uh, unknowingly doing something ridiculous. Right, because I would be curious. Wouldn't you be curious to see what you do? No. Yeah, like just the mundane. Right. That's how I spend my time. You, sp- you spend four hours doing that? Why? Oh. As you fast forward, you go, I'm not even moving. Look <laughs> at that. I am stationary for hours. <laughs> I didn't even get up and that bag just appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> Where did it come from? <laughs> Radio Misfits. Get more Lozano and Friends. Lozano. Now on Lozano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lozano or whatever the f*** it's called. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, was the smart car really all that intelligent? Plus trouble at the drive-in theater. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Costable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs> <laughs>